Every day, millions of people in the verse are subjected to the crushing, oppressive reality of counterfeit starships. The manufacturers and retailers have pulled the wool over consumers' eyes and forced them to accept substandard vehicles when they operate in space. We, of Citizens Objective Quality Standards, are working on your behalf, but the corruption is widespread with deep pockets. Here is an example of our efforts and the struggle we must all face. Welcome to Solarium Starship, sir. Best luxury craft dealer in view of Seoul. Could I show you our newest Colonial Interceptor? Special concept model available before the rest of the production line. Nah, I'm mostly here because of my wife. We got a kid now. She says my 315p just doesn't cut it for a growing family. Uh, I'm afraid I have to agree with the missus on that, sir. Fine ship, great for the adventurous bachelor, but not much of passenger room for the family men. Now, what would be your ideal vessel? Isn't that what you do? Give ideals on vessels? Very droll, sir. Now, if you'll follow me out to the mid-sized craft... You! Hey! You there! Stop! Oh dear. That guy's definitely not a first-run model. Stop! You're here by order to immediately remove any references to selling spacecraft. Excuse me, sir. You heard me! I have intercon... Intra... Intracontra... Oh, what dang it, what's that word? Anyway, you aren't selling spaceships. Sir, I can assure you that Solarium Starship specializes in top-of-the-line starfaring vessels. Shouldn't it be top of the atmosphere? No, you aren't! You're in violation of standards and you will all stop sales! Uh, would you remind me, sir, whom are you representing? I'm with Citizen Objective Quality Standards and we have objections! Citizens... Objective... Hang on, Cox... You're seriously representing a group of cops? You're damn right we're serious! In the interest of civility, I'll humor you. What is it that you find our offerings to be in violation of? Standards! Like I said, how many of these ships have a joystick? Well, I don't recall the exact number, but it is the most common control configuration for space vehicles. Wrong! It's a universal control configuration for space vehicles. If you haven't got a nice contoured pole between your legs to guide your way, you aren't in a spaceship. You're in a vehicle that accidentally left the Atmo. Figures you guys would be all rigid about sticks between people's legs. Sir, I'll ask you to keep a civil tongue or I'm afraid you'll have to leave. I don't think I want to shop today anyways. This comes off a bit cocky to me. And as for you, dear fellow... Scenarium International requires a notice from a legitimate government agency before any business will be suspended. You don't happen to represent a government agency, do you? Well, we're working on it. Nobody believes in standards anymore. Calling all the damn boxes with rockets of spaceships, you... You there! You get me! Where do you fly? Why, the best ship in the verse, of course. A 315B. With a controlled yoke! <laughs> this unfortunate incident is just one example, ridiculed by people who have already been duped, and ignored by the powerful corporations that want to keep you in counterfeit space vehicles. Please, support your local COQS chapter and help us get these fake starships off of the lots and out of our spaceways.
The previous message was not supported by management or endorsed by any candidate for anything anywhere. Participants are not paid actors. No one should be forced to pay for this level of talent. Solarium Starships and COQS are not legally registered trademarks, but will probably recycle in future bits until you're sick of them. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved. Void or prohibited. There ought to be laws against this kind of thing. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 138 of the best damn space sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, September 23rd, and made available for download on Tuesday, September 27th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ken Shadow. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ostra. And as always in the audio booth, checking out our levels and splosives with the ever-glorious Henry Romulan Ale Pomper. Well, what do we have this week, Ostron? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, NASA's going to Mars. Probably. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover the in-depth article Kotaku posted regarding Star Citizen's development, what the research badgers have been up to with the Elite colon Dangerous colon Guardians beta, and how friendly fire may not actually be all that friendly in Dual Universe. We then debate advanced character customization options, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squad box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. normal. Cryptor, 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 this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This is a great headline from Futurism.com. It's official. We're going to Mars. Mikey, do the music. That's right. NASA has been ordered to design and implement a manned mission to Mars. They've been given a strict deadline. Well, not so strict. Just that in the next 25 years or so, and, well, to be strictly technical, ordered, is a bit of a stretch at this point. The United States Senate Committee for Commerce, Science, and Transportation voted to approve a bill that funds a Mars mission. But hey, it got bipartisan support. So even though it still has to pass the Senate as a whole, it shouldn't be a problem. The, the NASA bill, it's already passed the House of Representatives. Well, hang on, I mean, it's almost the same bill that passed the House, pretty much. So they're going to have to make sure that everything matches up before they send it to the president. And I'm sure there won't be any problems in, in this election year. You know, getting enough votes together before they all go home to do the last bits of campaigning. And also, it's probably no problem that it looks like Congress is putting less money into planetary science missions and Earth monitoring systems than the president asked for. I'm sure it'll all be fine. And uh, NASA, also contracted with SpaceX to get access to data from their Red Dragon unmanned capsule the company wants to send to Mars in 2018. See, there's no way to use parachutes to land a human-rated craft on Mars. It's got to be retro rockets, like the one SpaceX has been using to land its boosters, mostly successfully. But we're not even sure at this point how to land there. But they're working on it. But hey, everything's gonna work out fine. Because the biggest champion, the sponsor of the bill, the, the man who will send humanity to the stars, has our back. 
anyone can use his sparkling personality, legendary charisma, and proven leadership to make this noble journey a reality, it's this guy. Let's give a big round of guard frequency applause to the best friend of science and exploration and politics, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Okay, so the headline writers at Futurism might have been a bit tad optimistic. Mikey, play the other song. Well, I hope they get there before I'm dead. That would be nice. I'm wondering, I didn't get a chance to read the article. Has Did they talk about any sort of like practical planning or was it all just the budget stuff? At, at this point, it, it's the budget. You know, a lot of people have criticized me because I, I supported President Obama in most things. You know, I don't have to like everything that he does. And the one thing I really, really was disappointed was when he really cut back on this on NASA, basically. I believe that it was wise to open it up to private industry, but government-backed space programs really get somewhere. I saw it with the Apollo program. We saw it with the Mercury program. It really advanced our science. You know, we, we landed on the moon. We were challenged by President Kennedy to, to get there, and we did it. And when I was a kid growing up in that era, it really enthralled me. And so I, I was really disappointed in, in the setbacks and what happened. This excites me. And I'm hoping that uh, we'll return to a more funded uh, space program along with the private enterprise um, going forward. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of uh, popular media that's focused on realistic spaceflight because, like, you had the movies Gravity and then most recently The Martian that came out. It seems like things are swinging more in that direction in general. As a side note, speaking of The Martian, I think it's free with uh, on Audible uh, this month. The book, you mean? Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah. I think it's not only the public is the problem, you know, it's really just the people that hold the purse strings. And it's probably most people that hold the purse strings don't have any problem with it either. They just rather put the money somewhere else, like in their district. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, in a lot of ways, I, you know, it's the purse strings. I really believe that the shuttle program needed to go to the second generation. Uh, we needed that second gen shuttle. Uh, we've been poorly uh, earthbound by not having a shuttle, uh, a second generation shuttle. You know, we're relying on other countries, and notably not a not an overly well, I'd say, an underhandedly friendly country to get us there and back. And you know, it's just been it's just been a boondoggle for for space in the last decade or so. Problem with the space shuttle is it, it had a lot of problems, right? <laughs> well, extreme. that's why I'm saying that we we needed we were in development of a second generation shuttle, a leaner, meaner more technologically advanced shuttle and it was it was killed and they and they uh, and they ended the other shuttle pro, uh, the current shuttle pro, uh, program right so if 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 you had the second gen spot, uh, sh shuttle though you probably wouldn't have spacex right now though or any of the other independent space agencies that are being partially funded by nasa based on the old shuttle uh, development program funds though so i mean you have to have, you have to have it one way or the other 
And I'm, I'm not sure that I'd, I'd rather have a shuttle than, than all these other companies that are also getting their feet off the ground. Because I think NASA will get back to what it does best, which is things farther out than orbit. You know, I think that's really where they need to concentrate and get us back to the moon, back to go to Mars, things like that. And uh, let the other industries fight it out in, in orbit. I kind of disagree with that. I think uh, I think with individuals like Elon Musk and so, I think uh, SpaceX and stuff would still have happened. Regardless of whether we had a shuttle, pro- uh, you know, if if we had a, a shuttle program. Um, no, no, my point is that he would have tried, but the money from NASA would not have been there if the shuttle program was going forward, though. We would not have funded him. Well, yeah, but I'm wondering how much of him is self-funded and how much of it is NASA funded. It's all NASA funded. He was he was bankrupt almost before before NASA decided to invest in SpaceX. He had literally like a week of payroll or something like that. I, I I don't know. I you know the moon is such a lucrative uh, and the technology to get there is so now. I mean, just getting mining rights and other scientific uh, you know companies and you know to do research and yeah. No, I we would be in the same position, but it would be twenty years later. I think. I think you'd end up with a bunch of private companies starting to launch rockets, getting up in orbit, doing rendezvous and stuff like that. But it had been like 20 years later before the technology got cheap enough that they could actually think about that. We, by, by killing the shuttle program, we effectively accelerated that industry by two decades, I think. But to your point, Jeff, I think a second generation shuttle would have been really cool. I just think that the way it is now, I think we would probably, we probably ended up better off. Read, seen, or heard something that you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our star citizen crowdfunding update for September 23rd, 2016. $124,241,259, up about $413,000. Approximately 1.534 million registered accounts, up about 5140 Approximately 1.095 million ships in the UAE fleet, up about 13,455. On the morning of September 23rd, the gaming news site Kotaku published an in-depth article about the development of Star Citizen. They aren't kidding about in-depth either. The article is over 15,000 words long, or one and a half monthly reports from SIG. It features summaries of the development history, quotes from interviews with Chris, some current SIG staff, and some unnamed sources, who include former staff. We'll note up front, it doesn't directly address or discuss the Derek Smart controversy, the Sandy slash community team rumors, or the more recent issues with backers requesting refunds, though it does mention the last item and provides some links to the past articles about it. First, let us review the facts as laid out in the article. Star Citizen's development has been ongoing for five years. Radical studio restructuring took place 18 months ago, including shifting many of the development initiatives to the UK. The original release date from the crowdfunding sites was 2014. Most of the early history of Star Citizen is known to our listeners already, and it gets a good summary in the article. We'd encourage backers who need a reminder to skim that. Now, on to what everyone is wondering about. What did the article dig up? Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your position, there are no bombshells or smoking guns in the article's coverage on the various hurdles CIG's development has hit. The article doesn't structure it in this way. 
but our review noted three major areas that have hampered development at various times. The biggest one was production and company organization, or lack thereof. For those of you in the business world, you would recognize this as project management. Sources who worked at the company claimed that after a year or two, there were multiple groups working on many projects without clear ideas of priorities or a reporting structure. Ironically, where most people would have worked in tech would assume that a lack of documentation would be an issue, CIG actually had too much documentation, some of it contradictory. The catalyst of change for that was bringing on Aaron, whose UK team largely came from developing LEGO games. As such, they had a more rigid production schedule in place. Implementing that structure company-wide improved the pipelines. Unfortunately for many, the reorganizations and efficiency streamlining resulted in layoffs, and many said that CIG's method for doing those, which was, hope your name doesn't get called today, wasn't the best. Some people also reportedly didn't agree with their new place or new role in the reorganized CIG, and left as a result. The fed-up-I'm-leaving phenomenon also stalled development at various times when certain groups would find themselves suddenly and woefully understaffed. The second major hurdle, according to many people, is and was engineering the game's tech. A lot of blame gets leveled at CryEngine. Some sources claim that the first thing SIG did with the first-person engine was, in essence, to pull out all the first-person shooter features, only to add them back in later. It's no secret that the 32-64-bit switch was also an obstacle. Chris disagreed that CryEngine was a bad choice, and one source pointed out that one could say they should have had all the right tools in place before starting. But that criticism can be laid at the feet of many games development. SIG just happened to be public. Another questionable move for many of the sources was the decision to release functional items that had to be supported by the same team that was doing development, which stalled progress on new technology while they went back to doing bug fixes. The last major point of criticism, of course, Chris himself. Sources were quoted telling stories of development teams spending up to months of time building prototypes of systems simply to prove to Chris they just didn't work and of him giving direct feedback to assets way down the chain, bypassing directors and supervisors. Chris was largely unapologetic when asked about his tendency to bull rush forward and sometimes disregard feedback. He was quoted in the article, I like to have a lot of really good creative people around and I like them to contribute all their ideas, but when I say we're going left instead of right, everybody needs to go left, unquote. The article wrapped up by recording responses to the questions, Can Star Citizen be made? The general feelings were that if you were someone still working at CIG, the answer was yes. If you weren't, the answer was no. Though some sources allowed that a lot of cool tech solutions would come out of the development. So, I don't think I was surprised by anything in that article. <laughs> I wasn't too surprised. On, there was nothing that surprised me. There were some things that made my raise my single eyebrow and go, fascinating. Uh, and I, it wasn't a bad article. It wasn't slamming CIG. And it's stuff that we already had discussed previously at, at various times before. Yeah, none of the supposed issues or stories were entirely new to me either. It just seemed like they were saying stuff that had been either hinted at or outright quoted before. So I didn't get a chance to read the entire article. I made it read about a half or three quarters of it. Do they mention Wingman at all in the article? No. The only person's name 
who they actually mentioned with any regularity was Chris's. I think they mentioned a a high level art director that had left the project at one point, and they did art. Oh, right. They mentioned Sandy and Ben and Ortwin, but that was just when they were discussing how the project all started. Once it got into the like describing the development, ninety percent of the information was coming from just a source or sources. So Chris's name was really the only one that came up. I mean, it, it surprises me they don't mention Eric or any of those other guys who used to be central figures in Austin uh, with regards to the crowdfunding, because at least I know that they, they were involved in putting together that campaign. I mean, sure, you know, Ben and Sandy and all those guys were there too. But as far as I know, Eric was a instrumental figure in everything to do with the beginning of the game. It's kind of a shame that he, you know he, get, he kind of gets left out again. Well, I think the reason for that was because the focus of the article really was on when the game started getting into full development. They sort of mentioned the crowdfunding campaign only as a an intro or a thesis, if you will. Like, this is how it all started and how we got to this. And then they just, almost all of their focus was on the actual game development part of it. Like I said, they completely ignored or only mentioned in passing all of the... I don't want to call them fluff, but the pure PR issues that CIG has had. Um, sure. The only stuff they talked about was the development. Yeah, I mean, that, that all of that whole story goes back to the restructuring and stuff, sure. Yeah, and really, when I was reading it, this was my thought overall. I'm currently working at a company that over the past five years has gone through the transition from being a relatively small company, like having up to like 150 employees who are all located centrally in basically one office with a few small offices around the world, into a company that has fully functioning large development teams located globally. And 90% of the problems that they describe as happening at CIG are exactly the same kind of problems that my company has gone through. Like all of the production issues and the pipeline restructuring and the personnel problems, all of that stuff that they're describing that happened at CIG has happened to one degree or another at my company. So I think saying that CIG's problems are unique or they're like overly worrisome is not warranted. I mean, a lot of it just seems like the growing pains you get when you're a company that starts out as a small, tightly knit startup development, and then you transition into a large enterprise that's got a regular operational status instead. I mean, if anything, this article at the end of the day is really a positive article because it shows that they are actually solving the problems that are inhibiting their development rather than just stagnating. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that struck me. One is that they really need to hire someone in project management and they need to listen to them. And the other thing that struck me is that a lot of the controversy, I think, is contrived. I don't think that the controversies are actually what they what everybody's blown them up to be. And it's sad that we have to pick apart our, our beloved, you know, project to finally get to the grain of truth that's behind it all and frankly i think this will come to fruition i i think we'll we'll see a game it may not be when we want it but i think it will be there nonetheless well the points of the article were saying that for practical purposes that single project manager is chris either by appointment or by just practical reality and then it basically boiled down to 
opinions on whether that was a good solution or not. And no, it's not a good solution. Chris is a visionary and he's the CEO and he can't be the project manager, plain and simple. Yeah, which was, was a point they brought up. But I, I think that's something that we've discussed quite a bit. I know Tony's brought that point up a lot in the past. I think calling Chris the project manager is overstating kind of what he does, though. I think there are project managers, and I think there's probably an overall project manager, whether that's Aaron or somebody else. I think Chris's function, though, is a little more disruptive in that he preempts the project managers. So they lay out a schedule and Chris says, no, we're going to zig instead of zag and everybody's schedules get thrown up in the air, right? And the project managers have to have to continually recorrect because of Chris. I don't think Chris is the project manager and there's a wrong role to put him in with the way that we're defining project manager. Yeah. One other thing. So I, yeah, they, they, they missed a lot of the controversies in this article, right? The, the drama crap that, you know, uh, such people have thrown around but you know the real controversy this article deals with is the game's schedule as pointed out in the article whether this game would have actually been released in 2014 at least the impression that the game would be farther along than it is now was has been given in the past right and they've made a lot of technical errors and judgment and as pointed out in the article uh, a variety of organizational errors that they're correcting so I think that there is a controversy here, you know, it's just not, it's just a lot more mundane than the other uh, fluffy and, stuff. And I would have to agree with you. I think that is the real controversy is, is the schedule. I, I would say, just as sort of a, a caveat, that the real controversy that you brought up while mundane probably provided a little bit of fuel that allowed the frivolous controversies to blow up as much as they did. Yeah, the layoffs did not help. I know some of those controversies came because of these inter-office politics coming from bad feelings about all of this stuff. Elite Dangerous Horizons Guardians Beta 2.2 and Passengers Beta 1.7 are now live. Side note, Elite Dangerous is providing way too much punctuation in their titles nowadays. Reports have been filtering in from the front lines of testing and bug smashing, and the community has already had an impact on several aspects of the coming update. First off, Commander Corrigendum, a frequent Galnet contributor, shared an image gallery highlighting numerous references to player-generated content in the flavor text and backgrounds of the new hireable AI crew members. Examples include the Buckyball Racing Club's events, Operation Charybdis from the early days of Powerplay, and East India Company's Ashinar Challenge, among several others. Next up, in a 39-page and still going strong thread in the official Frontier forums, designer Mike Evans solicited feedback on player-controlled fighters. Based on the first 25 pages of this discussion, Mike posted that an update coming soon, in quotes, will include two of the three improvements to fighters he had previously suggested. First, boost speed for all three fighters will increase by 150 meters per second, and overall DPS will be increased by 12.5%. His third proposal that fighters have lower emissions and thus be harder for gimbaled weapons to lock accurately will require further coding and thus come later, if at all. Perhaps the most interesting change to come out of the player discussions and feedback, a bug is becoming a feature. Guardians will include a new mechanic where White Dwarf and Neutron Stars eject jets of material that can supercharge your frame shift drive for one jump if you are willing to risk some module damage to your ship. In this first iteration of beta, the number was accidentally inflated, 
from the intended 25% boost to a whopping 400% boost, allowing some players to make jumps in excess of 200 light years in well-tuned explorer craft. Upon learning that the intended figure was so much smaller, many commanders lobbied for a compromise that would allow this fun feature to hit the live galaxy. In-game groups are already working on projects like the Neutron Highway, mapping out a path using clusters of neutron stars to catapult daring travelers long distances and only a handful of jumps. Happily, Frontier has responded positively to these ideas. While White Dwarf Stars will confer only a 50% boost, still double the original plan, Neutron Stars will be set to 300% in the next update for further testing. These numbers are subject to further changes, of course, but Elite Explorers or those involved with the activities in and around the Jacques Station may want to get involved in the discussion. Finally, Commander Rai Shura posted a warning on Reddit. Ship-launched fighters flown by hired AI pilots can and will rack up a bounty against you if they accidentally spray friendly fire on system authorities. Beware, it's unknown if this is wholly working as intended. While the damage threshold before a bounty occurs was raised to make turrets more viable, the glass cannon design of the fighters means they are laying down heavier DPS despite their small size. So that, that neutron star boost jump mechanic sounds kind of neat. Yeah, that's really interesting. I really like the idea of this whole neutron superhighway where you can plot a series of neutron stars and make it across the galaxy in many fewer jumps. That sounds really neat. See, now that strikes me as something where if they could somehow make it that you could map those routes and then create a, a map data item in-game to sell... That would be a neat player mechanic where you could have certain organizations that just they start racing to create their jump routes based on these neutron stars and then selling them off to other players. I do wonder if 300 light years is a good jump range. They're talking about up to 10 times your jump range. I can get a fully stripped down ASP is close to 30. So yeah, you're looking at like 300 light years. That's a trip that I took this week from the core to like Sothis and Seos where I was doing trading and it's it's you make like 20 million a run in that trade run but that would be one jump and it wouldn't take me like four hours you know it'd be one jump I wonder how that'll really affect the long-range trading well I mean if the developers are actually invested in making this a thing they'd probably adjust the appropriate missions to account for it if only that were real money <laughs> if only it was a real spaceship yeah that too dual universes Kickstarter was two-thirds funded as of the 19th and at the time of this recording has managed to get 71% funded. They gave credit to a letter from the chairman, Chris Roberts posted, promoting the game and its crowdfunding effort. On the 21st, they released another video detailing their voxel tech. However, it doesn't show much that's different from what had appeared in other gameplay videos. The only really new info about the tech was that the assets de-rezzed at long distances. This allowed players to still view the larger assets at great distances without forcing gigabits of data across the streams. People have been raising concerns about the fact that the universe is fully destructible, but also PvP. Lead developer Jean-Christophe Bailly said that total anarchy will be initially prevented with the use of artificial safe zones around spawn points and other territories. Eventually, they're hoping economic factors and bounty systems will provide more of an organic deterrent to such behavior, but they're hoping a lot of ideas and solutions will come out of the alpha and beta testing. So Ultima Online tried that, didn't they? Yeah, that didn't work very well for them. 
So I guess we'll have dual universe, meaning uh, Feluca and uh, Trammel, huh? Or they should just use the other dual in their title. A lot of what's coming out of dual universe is very reminiscent of stuff that was suggested for Star Citizen back during the initial parts of the crowdfunding. And, I mean, Star Citizen hasn't really produced any new or revolutionary suggestions even after five years of development and community feedback, so... I think we're still at the infancy of this whole space MMO thing and that uh, a lot of these games will be taking lessons from each other. If we really get a Persistent Universe public beta for our dual universe, see Zitz, Open Alpha, or whatever, I'm sure that they will be looking closely at what Star Citizen does and lessons they learn in their uh, beta process. Yeah, but I'm just thinking the scale is different, because, I mean, even with Star Citizen, even if you have some areas that are basically unrestricted PvP, you could land there and you have to watch out for your own person but you don't have to worry about like somebody just blowing up the station and killing everyone inside which in dual universe that seems to be the thing like if you build a space station for your organization and throw it into orbit and have everyone docked there apparently people can wander over and just rip it out of the sky You do have that potential in Star Citizen also. They will have org bases and you'll have persistent ships and all sorts of things like that. And in Star Citizen, the way you counter that is by putting in defenses that are available while you are offline and you hire NPCs and things like that. I'm sure Dual Universe will come to some similar um, solution or those things won't be there while you're offline, one of the two. As you said, we'll have to see. Well, now it's time for news we didn't use. Star Citizen will be putting some new flight model programming into Arena Commander for the Evocati testers soon. The programming is planned to debut with 2.6. Procedural space station generation is the order of the day for Infinity Battlescape. Also, Forever Patch 2.0 is coming out really soon, honest. After a long hiatus, 10 for the Chairman returned with a focus on character customization. Descent Underground showcased their single-player design in this month's Proving Grounds developer meeting. Star Citizen's 10 for the Chairman was all about the upcoming character customization options, which people have been curious about ever since it was announced that the game featured first-person play outside of one's ships. And Dual Universe made advanced character customization a stretch goal of its Kickstarter campaign. Even Elite Dangerous, a game that doesn't involve getting out of one ship, has said it will be announcing a player avatar system to allow for individualization of characters' appearances. Some people argue that the deep advanced customization system is necessary for immersion and to avoid the gaminess where there are hundreds of clones walking around, but several polls online have shown that a majority of gamers don't want extra effort put into character systems at the expense of time or money put elsewhere. Or they're just indifferent to the whole idea of character customization at all. The main question they had was how relevant it would be in games where a majority, if not all, of the gameplay would be spent in ships. 
Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the need for advanced character customization systems in Space Sims. Osteron spends at least an hour in front of the mirror each time he's going to leave his house while Kin Shadow's hair only gets styled if the wind's blowing and it happens to be raining when he steps outside. So Osteron, why are the advanced customization systems necessary? Well, I'm glad you asked. You need advanced customization if you want to have any hope of real immersion in the game. People get much more involved in their characters if they have the option of making it look very much like them, or if they have a particular vision in mind, crafting their character so that it looks exactly like whatever that vision is. Well, Mr. Ostron, I politely disagree. I think most games, if you at least hit the archetypes of humanity, they end up with enough immersion for, uh, for most users. You look at the most power, you look at the most popular games out there, like, for instance, World of Warcraft is a role-playing game, and they have maybe five options for each of the facial features, and then that's it. It's not in-depth at all. Well, I think that may be a weaker argument, because World of Warcraft is still going strong after however many years it's been out. I think it's one of the longest-running MMOs. But beyond that, um, if you limit the options, you limit individuality and that's really what people want in a, a role-playing game even in one where you wouldn't necessarily be role-playing with a face very often again i think as long as a player looks like the archetype they're going for whether that be gruff or trim or whatever that gets most of the point across uh, anything more is just wasted money and to you know to to go off what you just said there you're not seeing your character almost at all in a first-person game. The only time you ever see your character would be in a mirror or when you're actually re-customizing your character. It's just a lot, not a lot of bang for the buck. Okay, well, I've heard both of your arguments, and being a WoW player, I can tell you that the one thing I hate about WoW is the fact that uh, if I stand next to another night elf, I look just like him. But also, in all fairness, I'm in third person at all times, and I'm so far zoomed out, I rarely see anybody else up close. And I think that Star Citizen was unique for me in the fact that it promised to be a universe that you would want to live in. And by that, I mean that it was supposed to be fully immersion. So I expected out of it to be all kinds of archetypes. I mean, if I wanted to, you know, go to the black market and see some big old pear-shaped lady with with three or 400 pounds as the black market leader or something, you know, haggling with her, that's the kind of thing that, that I would expect out of Star Citizen. We should have tall people. We should have overly large people. We should have skinny people. I but mean, you won't, you won't have that, though, in Star Citizen. I know, not, and that, not but I think extreme. we should have it. So you would actually be in favor of them developing more development resources? In this particular game, yes. I think it's a case-by-case ga -case basis. But, I mean, the reason that we're having this is because they gave details about Star Citizen's face mechanics that was this week's 10 for the Chairman. And the way that they're going with it is 
almost like a super realistic version of what WoW is doing, right? You pick a couple of facial features and then you go with that, right? You can you can put together a, a mouth and a nose and eyes and the hair and the skin color. Those kind of things, like in an MMO, especially a medieval MMO, you're always wearing armor and helms and stuff like that. The amount of time you actually see your facial features is extremely limited. In a space game like we're talking about here, you're going to have to wear a space helmet 90% of the time probably too. So, uh, see, I, I don't think so. I think a lot of people will be not in space. I think a lot of people will be on the ground. I think a lot of people will be at Art Corps or the, or the planet side doing cameras, sitting in bars. Well, now you know our thoughts on that. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, are advanced customization systems necessary for immersion and increasing the appeal of the space sim? Or is the extra time and money put into the system that most people won't bother with or notice? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. But now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say the Shiv's jokes are always rooted by autocorrect, and that timing is everything. But all we know is he wrote things out of order, so you already know who he is, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question. Does paid testing access to games provide real, invested players with the ability to genuinely assist in the development process? Or have developers just found a convenient excuse to be lazy with development and grab money from their customers at the same time? Krell wrote in and said if game developers are truly looking for feedback, even the biggest early access games have their limited test groups. For example, the Avocati. For most people, they're not interested in testing anyway. It's just a way to see the game early, and people like to be part of that early experience. Sean Newboy says, Great show, everyone. I like paid early access, but it is definitely a money grab. H. Allen writes in and says, Not all gamers want to deal with the work-in-progress product and pay early access to support development. Get the game at a reduced price and wait for the official release. Then there are those that want to help influence the development of the game, post in the forums, test and report bugs. These are a benefit to the game development staff. Both provide guaranteed sales and the second provides additional non-salaried QA staff. By opening that early access door, developers cannot be lazy. They must react in a more timely manner to reported issues. The world, not just that guy in the corner office, is watching. Juru piped in and said, I can say from experience that having the community as part of the development is a boon. I bet it has something to do with the game you're developing and how constructive your community is. League of Legends community need not apply. (laughs) The feedback alone is a good reason to have the community test for you. Having a fee limits the numbers, discourages griefers, and promotes interest. Good show. Keep teaching the controversy. Well, interesting. Uh, A lot less than I thought and a lot more decisive than I thought. Yeah, I thought there were going to be more people that were on the money grab side of things. but Yeah, I would have thought more people would have been at least vocal about it because there are some really vocal people about i guess they don't listen to our show yeah our our listeners are just too high class and forward thinking to have those types of opinions i guess they're just all big spenders really advertisers take note well maybe i maybe it's apathy i don't know because uh (laughs) 
uh, well, all no, our seriously, listeners, all our listeners are lazy. Damn it! <laughs> I was telling some of the guys at work, you know, that how I, what I said last week about how I buy these online subscriptions to video watch like uh, uh, CBS All Access and Hulu, and and you and you get stuck with ads. If I'm subscribing to this, why should I be stuck with ads? And the generation, I, I'm maybe it's the gener- generational thing, and they just go, eh, no biggie. Oh, okay. If you don't care, I, I mean, it must be apathy because I guess you don't see the value of your money. I, I don't know. It could also be that people have trouble equating that situation to the gaming. Well, I mean, that particular situation, I agree with you, Jeff, on. That's really annoying to see commercials that you've, you're paying them monthly fee, right? Right. That's what network TV is about. Advertisers pay uh, the fees to the, you know, uh, network TVs and they, they provide programming. That was the big difference for us growing up, right? You either you either got the over the air and took took the the ads, or you paid for HBO right. or whatever yeah, and didn't exactly. get ads. I feel pretty much the same way about beta testing. In general feedback, Nick says, "I really don't like the dude who wants everything easy and it should be instant, etc. Makes me cringe." Who is he talking about? I don't know if that was one of us in particular, or just the theoretical dude who fits all of those criteria. I don't like that dude either. Yeah. We've received some other other feedback, particularly since CIG's Gamescom presentation, that criticizes our coverage and the reactions to that and other news coming out of CIG. We apologize if it seemed as though we shirked on our due diligence with Gamescom. All of the hosts attempt to be as up-to-date on the news as we can. However, Guard Frequency covers many different space sims, and all of the hosts are volunteers. Real life sometimes prevents us from being as thorough as we'd like. Star Citizen's coverage is not the only games that suffered in the past, nor will it be the only game that suffers in its coverage going forward. As to the perceived biases or vendettas, which is an argument that's likely to come up again given the main subject of our Star Citizen coverage this week, we believe that has been addressed in the past many times by various different hosts, and so we're not going to rehash it again here. However, thanks for listening. Yes, definitely thank you for listening. <laughs> we enjoy your listenership. Yeah. If, if, if we're, what we're saying is uh, brings you this kind of reaction, more power to us. We like getting you mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. I, you know, it's, I find it humorous that, you know, er, <clears throat> I've always believed that everybody has an opinion. And... As long as you're willing to listen to the words that are being spoken and in the vein that it's being spoken in, then everybody should be free to express those opinions. Well, I I was just going to say, one of the things that really sets this podcast apart, and one of the reasons that I started sending my feedback to you guys, and one of the reasons that I ended up uh, eventually contributing and, and, and hosting right now, is that you guys just aren't reporting on it you are actually facilitating a community discussion around these things. And, you know, that does cause some controversy sometimes. Not everybody has the same opinions. So we, dif- we disagree sometimes, and, and, and that's good. Yep. So I think that, um, you know, some people disagreed with the way we covered certain things, and we take everybody's feedback with the appropriate amount of salt, and that we... Uh, we, we, we go forward and we try and be better. Our new Patreon this week is... 
And this week's community question. Are advanced customization systems necessary for immersion and increasing the appeal of a space sim? Or is it extra time and money put into a system that most people won't bother with or notice? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Were you glad of our 152-point customization program? Or do you just wish we had stuck head A on host body B and gotten on with the show already? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 138 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 139 on October 4th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central, which is 5 a.m. Central European time. If you happen to be the one random person we have listening to us in Yakass, your B, Sweden. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and Priority One Network. Our community manager, Justin Shovelrabine Lowmaster. Our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards. Our staff writer, Jace Pentad. And of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. And a big shout out to our syndication partner, The Base. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black, it's pretty long. Reduce thrust. major horror <clears throat> crap. the second major <laughs> sorry go ahead yeah that one could say they should have had all the right oh shit. sorry i structured that sentence a little bit all right in the interest of not being assassinated by an angry brit let's uh move on
Well, the angry Brit can kiss my Scottish ass, so. <laughs> oh, I have a feeling that's going to be used against you in the recording. They want to get involved in the, in the, the in the. <laughs> Kinchetto. Oh, um, oh, sh I completely forgot I was reading. I forgot, I forgot we had more left in this, this we, segment. Yes, we are still hosting a show. That's... <laughs> <laughs> they gave credit to a letter from the chairman, Chris Roberts, posted. <laughs> I just saying sh lot, aren't I? All right, hold on a second. Well, in that particular instance, Chris Roberts didn't post sh but. Yeah. <laughs> on the 21st, they released another V. Big old pear-shaped lady with with three or four hundred pounds as the black market leader or something, you know, haggling with her. That's the kind of thing that that I would expect out of Star Citizen. What are you doing hanging around my mom? <sighs> You've got your section back again. Yay! And that brings us to the end of the open. Why do I screw up every line I read? <clears throat> it's the that character you bring to the show. I... <laughs> <laughs> Total f up. All right. We got rid of the old ones, so we had to find a new one. Oh, you did this to me on purpose. <laughs> I did not. This is no. The, okay. Lennon ordered who has what to say on this section. So, yeah. This yeah. is not my fault. I knew it. I knew it. He's kissing my Scottish ass right now. <laughs> and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his show in our show. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for, turn to, for turning. <laughs> but above all, we especially want to thank you for Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going get it. Who's get it? Hold on. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I can't stop laughing. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going right, to get it this time. Okay. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for turn to. <laughs> but above all, we especially want to thank you folks for turn. I did it again. Okay. Damn it! I'm gonna get Henry in here to read this in a minute. Like, okay, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black. Please tell me you did that on purpose. <laughs> Remember how I said we weren't going to rehash this again? Yeah, I know. <laughs>